Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, home of City Park, a 1,300-acre public park ranked at number 87 on the list of America's largest parks, and Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, where you'll find Burns Park in North Little Rock, which is a 1,700-acre public park and is number 70 on the list of largest parks in the U.S. Tonight, we'll be updating some of the cases we've covered since we launched the show in February, and then we'll be looking ahead to cases we'll be covering during the rest of the season. As always, we're a live show, and calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. Good evening, Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty darn good. Waiting to see if this uh, rain comes down here that it looks like it's been threatening all afternoon. But, I mean, that's very interesting. You talk about Burns Park. I never knew that about it being number 70 on the list. It's literally like mm, 10 minutes away from where I'm sitting right now. Yeah. Yeah, City Park is, you know, a fixture here. And uh, I spent many hours, many over many years there. Um, there's a there's an even larger park, uh, National Wildlife Refuge, called Bayou Sauvage. I didn't mm-hmm. want to show you up though, so I didn't include Bayou Sauvage. <laughs> <laughs> it's number <Okay>. three. <laughs> well, I mean, let's be honest. Half of my state isn't like swampland, so you know, we don't have right. that kind of have that kind of uh, luxury to have so many national parks. But, you know, we are the national yeah. state. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's uh, the the list that I found is a, a, you know, kind of a private green space. Green space is a big thing in the Northeast because mm-hmm. they have so little of it left. Right. And so Absolutely. they they ranked – they ranked all these uh, national parks, wildlife refuges, and uh, it's a huge list. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's always nice, you know. A lot of people, a lot of people don't uh, appreciate a lot of the state parks and stuff that we've been afforded thus far mm-hmm. in our life. You know, a lot of people are all about going on vacations to the beach or 
something of that nature, whereas, you know, really, they've got all this beautiful stuff in, you know, Arkansas, Louisiana, for example, to be happy about. Right, right. Definitely. But we... (laughs) (coughs) Pardon me. You're fine, you're fine. So we... The reason why I seem excited, I mean, we've done a lot of good, good stuff this year, you know, or I guess in the six months just about we've been on the air with Mm -hmm. the show. I mean, you're about coming up on a year here in the next about four months with Talk Radio 49. I can't believe that. I know. I mean, we've done some amazing, fascinating cases. And I absolutely can't wait to find out about what some of the stuff has happened with them since we uh, last talked about it. Great. Well, I've got some. I've got some information on some, and some are kind of quiet, but we can talk about those as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there there have been some cases that have been moving at uh, you know rapid fire pace since we since we launched the show in in February. So and right. what I was figuring what I was figuring we'd do is we'll run February to February. Mm-hmm. And so our season will start it started February twenty seventh. It'll end right around February twenty seventh, twenty eighth. And then we'll mm-hmm. have a a week or so off and then we'll start back at the beginning of March. Okay. And then that'll be season two. Sounds perfect as far as that goes. Uh, You know, there's been a lot of people that we've actually been lucky enough to talk with on this. Uh, You know, a lot of guests. You know, that's one of the beautiful things about the podcasting game is you get guests you never dreamed about. We've had people on Talk Radio 49 on other shows, like Bruce Buffer, who does the uh, ring introductions for the UFC. We've had uh, quarterbacks like Mitch Mustang, mm-hmm. all sorts of amazing, amazing guests, not to mention the ones we've had on this very show. You know, yeah, it, it's mind-blowing to think of some of the opportunities that I've been afforded just because of, you know, blog talk radio. So I definitely am glad that we have, we started this endeavor back in 2014 or 2013, actually. So it's even crazier mm-hmm. to think it's been over five years now that we've been. Five doing years. It. So, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely something that I absolutely love to do. And, you know, it's great always taking a step back and looking back and, you know, speaking of some of the guests, you know, we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about Vivian. We're going to talk about Marty and Bill again. We're going to talk about LaDonna. I, I mean, we're going to talk about some great, great cases that we've had on this show. But one thing I mm-hmm. want to take care of from uh, housekeeping before we do get started, uh, apparently you've been getting hit up on your social media. I want to let everybody know if you are an international listener, clear and convincing and you have access to Skype you can feel free to call into the show at 347-989-1171 Skype actually affords you that ability 
another thing, you know, once again, always hit us up at 347-989-1171. Hit us up on the Talk Radio 49 Facebook. Drop us a, a message there. Give us a like. Uh, obviously, the Talk Radio 49 uh, Twitter. Your very your personal Twitter is also available out there. Uh, you know, the website, the WordPress website, always a good, another good way to get in contact with us. So there's all sorts of ways. Be disparaged not. There's definitely ways to get your opinion out on this show. Definitely. Definitely. And uh, that was for Yvonne, who listens from Europe somewhere. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. And then we're also going to be, uh, Michael's going to be loading, uploading, signing us up. I'm not sure how this works with Apple, yes, iPods. I, I, I don't even know what it's called. iTunes, it's called, that's it, iTunes. Called <laughs> And so that will be, yeah, you're, you're breaking up. The storm must be coming for you. It may be. Yeah. What I was saying is it's called iTunes. You can uh, get it on iTunes. Yeah. Yeah. You can get it even actually, I believe on Android devices as well now. And, and Michael's also going to be, for those who have asked is also going to be, uh, uh, uploading to YouTube. He'll start doing that with this episode as we go forward. And then when he finds the time or I nag him enough, he'll upload the rest. <laughs> right, Michael? Yes. It's, it's, it it and, may be a slow process, but we're going to try our best to get these uh, uploaded as quickly as possible on a YouTube site. Great. So that was that was an answer to Bev Sink's question about YouTube. So that should make it a little bit easier for people to listen in the car, listen uh, in the shower, and of course you can listen live. Or if your kids bother you, or the doorbell rings, or you have to go fix dinner, you can always listen at your leisure on Talk Radio Forty Nine. Mm-hmm. So. Those Absolutely. are many options to, to listen to us, although we'd love to listen live, and we'd love to have guests call in and listeners call in with comments, suggestions, or questions, or complaints. Absolutely. We'll listen politely. <laughs> yes, we will. We'll be very polite with you, but, you know, if we disagree, we've got to say our opinion. That's exactly right. You you've gotten to know me, haven't you, Michael? Absolutely. We hey hey everybody's entitled to an opinion, and you know what? Whether it be fact or whether it be just your opinion, everybody's entitled to one, and everybody's entitled to get their story out there. And we'd love to, you know, if there is Correct. anybody that disagrees anything we have on this show, I'd like to hear your side. You know, a lot of our Correct. stuff is just presented exactly like we say from the state's perspective. So, you know, if, for Dahlia DiPolito, for example, if you have a reason why you believe that she's getting railroaded, so to speak, then go ahead and call in. Let us know. I mean, I, I right. probably like to you, but, you know, hey, 
it is what it is. And another another point of view never hurts. Absolutely. So because we don't want to influence anybody. One of the common misconceptions these days is that if you have differing opinions, you can't get along. And that's simply not true. And just because my opinion about the ultimate question in a lot of these cases differs from those who believe Rodney Reed is innocent or Jeffrey McDonald is innocent or Jody Arias was abused, that doesn't mean that I'm not, I don't have an open mind and I'm willing to listen. Um, and if you can listen to my perspective and answer my questions about some things that kind of don't sit well with me, then, you know, we can have a great discussion and it doesn't have to be, we don't have to agree. We can agree to disagree. Absolutely. That's one of the beautiful things about doing something with, uh, like we do is we encourage you to call in. We, you know, that makes for very interesting, uh, radio, so to speak, whenever we do have differing opinions. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, we ready to get the ball rolling? Absolutely. Let's get started. I believe uh, the first topic on the agenda is an update on Miss Vivian. Well, I haven't heard from Vivian. She was uh, a victim of Rodney Reed in Bastrop, Texas, a rape victim. Uh, I have not heard from her or seen her on social media, but she was very brave and kind to actually appear, I believe, twice. The episode with American Idiots and then later on Clear and Convincing. So if she, if you're listening, Ms. Vivian, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story with us because it is a perspective that we don't hear often or see often in the media renditions of the Rodney Reed case. Absolutely. And, I mean, Vivian was one of those that, you know, I really felt something tug at my heart about because she was kind of the forgotten victim about Rodney. Everybody thinks about uh, the victim in the murder case, which obviously, you know, hate to put them on levels, but that's a little bit more heinous than what happened to Miss Vivian, not that that is once again. Not that I'm right. saying that that wasn't what he did to Vivian, you know. Taking somebody's life is a little bit more extreme, I guess, would be a little bit of a better word. Correct. So, I mean, I definitely but she, She's also faced some backlash from Reed supporters who accuse her of lying about him who say that, you know, it wasn't Rodney, it was somebody else, even though there's DNA evidence that proves it was Rodney. And so she's, you know, she has to live with, and there's a a gentleman who's a, quote, investigator, unquote, for Reed, who has posted about her on the Internet and social media and uh, has made veiled threats and veiled Uh, statements about her uh, that really, you know, she's a victim. She should be off limits. 
Right, so. absolutely. I mean, I can't even imagine what would be going through somebody's mind that they would think that it would be okay to attack a victim of a crime. That is completely despicable. And that is one thing, you know, going back to what we were talking about before we brought this up, that is one thing. If you come on here and you start attacking victims of crimes, that is one thing that uh, you will probably be booted off this show for. Correct. That is that is one thing we 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 will not tolerate, especially if we are interviewing a, a family member of a victim or the victim themselves. Uh, no, that's that won't be tolerated. That is crossing a line, and so absolutely. It's completely unacceptable to uh, unacceptable behavior for somebody to do that. Correct. Totally agree with you there, Michael. So, what have you heard uh, from Mr. Engler since we last spoke with him, uh, Rod? I I have not. I reached out to him by email. Uh, As you recall, he works with a cold case, uh, kind of a private... um, almost private investigator. I think they're former forensic or current forensic people, law enforcement, uh, who in their free time try to gather more information about some cold cases in Oregon and are trying to to resolve those cases to identify a perpetrator and you know bring that perpetrator to justice. I have not heard back from him. Uh, I... I hope that he's doing well and I certainly will keep reaching out to him until I hear from him Um, but he just may have not had anything to report about the cases he discussed with us uh, or you know anything in his work that he can discuss because he is a working expert and he may be involved in a case as we speak and of course an active case he can't talk about Right, absolutely, absolutely. You never, you never really want to to get somebody to talk about something that could compromise their own job. So, uh, Mr. Rod, well, it, could, it it could compromise his position as an expert in that case. Right. You know. Um, right. So that's something that you know we don't want to do. Uh, and of course, most a lot of the cases that we spoke about with with Mr. Engler were ones that had been resolved, and they've gone through the appellate process, and they've gone through post conviction, and you know there's there's nothing, no new developments in any of the cases. So uh, that's you know probably there's like I said nothing to report, and so we wish him well, and we hope to talk to him soon. Very true, very true. Uh, what about Mr. Meese? Have you heard anything from Gary? Gary will probably be calling in at some point tonight uh, because I did send him a message on Facebook, and uh, he may be listening as we speak and uh, just waiting for the right time. So, And I look forward to talking to him again. And he may wait until the, uh, you know, we get to the West Memphis Three case. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And, of course, if you've listened to this for any length of time, you know I'm a big follower of the West Memphis 3 case. So definitely interesting to see uh, what's going to happen with that moving forward. Uh, You know, it seems like it's kind of gone dormant for a while here. So, you know, I know that Damien always said that he was going to fight it once he got to the outside. He was going to continue to fight when he got out and things like that. But really nothing's happened since they got out. So, you know, it'll be interesting to uh, watch that moving forward. Uh, Now, these two gentlemen we had on, what was it, about, I want to say a month ago, maybe a little less. These are one of two of our more recent experts, Marty Preet and uh, Ben Crawford. But they were definitely two of the most awesome guests we've had on this show. They were. They were. Uh, Marty, of course, wrote the book Crooked City, which looked at um, what I think he and Mr. Crawford have kind of termed the uh, the innocence. What's the word they use? The innocence industry in Illinois. And, of course, we talked about David Protest, who was a professor at Northwestern until uh, his antics in a civil lawsuit cost him his position with Northwestern. Um, And Bill Crawford, who wrote uh, Justice Denied, and that was the story of how Al Story Simon was basically framed for a crime he didn't commit to release the guilty Anthony Porter from death row in Illinois. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that, that was a fascinating episode. Right. They're the quintessential definition of the term experts in their field. I mean, these guys are geniuses as far as they go. Yeah. And the books, uh, I would recommend... Uh, anyone, you know, Crooked City, they're available on Amazon Kindle, uh, Justice Nine, Bill Crawford's book, Amazon Kindle. They are great books. Both men are, of course, Mr. Crawford was a longtime journalist with the Chicago Tribune. And he was the old-time journalist. He was not an advocate like most, quote, journalists are today. He was a report the facts and let people come to their own conclusions. And, you know, that was, and he he is, he's a, he's won Pulitzer Prizes. Uh, So he's a, a, and Marty Preeb, a, a gentleman who came to police work a little bit later in life and then has gone on to write two books. And he's a good, he's a gifted writer as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So like I said, you should, you should find Crooked City on Kindle and Justice Nine on Kindle or go to Barnes and Noble, Amazon and buy hard copies and read them. They I'm are great books. And local bookstores for crying out loud. They're dying. <laughs> okay, go to your local bookstore. 
<laughs> I do. I still like actual books. These things are going out of business. <laughs> But I I do I do love still a hard you know, a hard copy book but I am liking the Kindle. Yeah, I mean I I, I like a good hard copy book too. As a matter of fact, <laughs> unless it's an audio book, that's about all I'll read. Oh, okay. So, but the funny thing is a Kindle would be great like if you're going on a vacation because when I used to come to New Orleans from Memphis, I would carry a a briefcase with just books in it. Oh, wow. The thing must have weighed 40 pounds, but to get through my trip in you know from Memphis in New Orleans, staying with my dad, I needed a lot of books. <laughs> I so, you know, the Kindle, that one Kindle I have, I think I have about 35, 40 books on my Kindle. Yeah. And I mean, they, so they, they definitely, was, they've definitely saved a few trees. Mm-hmm. It, it does save a few trees. And the cost of the Kindle books sometimes is actually more forgiving when you have a tight budget right? than a hardback right. book or even a paperback Kindle. book. A Kindle version is like, I think, nine ninety nine of a book you'd normally pay like 30 bucks for. So, I mean, yeah. Correct. Correct. I can definitely. So, and you've got more variety because nowadays some books are just released on Kindle. Correct. So, uh, and then we have LaDonna Humphrey. She will probably, hopefully, be calling in. We talked to LaDonna about uh, Melissa Witt, who disappeared around Pine Bluff, I believe it was, Arkansas, and is Mm -hmm. believed to be a potential victim of Larry Swearingen, who's currently on death row in Texas for the murder of Melissa Trotter. So hopefully we'll be hearing from her later on in the show. Right. I can't wait for that. I definitely can't wait for that. But let's get into some of our more infamous cases we've talked about here. And we're going to start off with the ones that are in the direct appeal. Let's go on with uh, one of your favorites, Jody Area. <laughs> what is the update on old Jody? Well, I I think we briefly talked about her direct appeal had been filed with the uh, Arizona inter it's the intermediate court of appeal. It's not the Supreme Court. It's um, I think it's the first district or something like that, first circuit. And basically, mm-hmm. the issues that Jody is raising in his her appeal are the over the top media coverage which included live streaming of the trial, denied her a fair and impartial jury. Now, this is um, kind of typical of, of Jody. She seems to lack an ability to recognize cause and effect. If you recall, Jody murdered Travis Alexander on June 4th, 2008. Mm-hmm. She was arrested on July 9th, 
2008 after physical evidence and photographs were recovered from a camera that she left at Travis's house. And physical evidence in the bedroom, bathroom where Travis was murdered was recovered. When she was arrested, she reached out to several news organizations and she appeared on several news magazine type shows to proclaim her innocence. And on one of those shows, she actually told the story of how she was at Travis's, he was in the shower, all of a sudden these two, a man and a woman with ski masks on, but she calls them beanies that go over your face, uh, came in and they killed Travis, but not her. And they let her leave. How stereotypical, by the way, they had ski masks on. Yes. Um, And uh, that they were there for Travis, not for her. So, you know, if if you have a problem with the intense media coverage, that right there is what started the firestorm. Very true. I mean, and then I just looking at what's going on, Nancy Grace back in July, I believe is when this came out. Yeah. Early July responded to everything, you know? Uh, Yes. She blamed Nancy specifically for her thing. And, Mm-hmm. You know, Nancy responded. Nancy said, you know, she thinks it had more to do with the evidence. I mean, let's be honest here. She makes a good point. She brings up the uh, the interrogation video. And she's right. Yeah. It has yeah, absolutely. Definitely. If, if that was true, if that was true, I believe Casey Anthony would be in jail right now. Yeah, Definitely. Um, so, I mean, uh, OJ would have been in jail if if the media could convict somebody, then we wouldn't mm-hmm. be having all these cases where people still have controversy. Correct, correct. And Nancy, you know, I don't. Nancy Grace is not one of my favorite people, and and some people have said, "Hey, <laughs> how can that be? You're so much like her." And maybe that's why, because I am a lot like her. I mean, I don't tolerate a lot of. Uh, uh, Stuff and I, I tend to see through, you know, when your argument doesn't make sense, I tend to see that it doesn't make sense and will be the first to point it out to you. Um, but then there are a lot of, she's raised multiple issues. And the kind of funny thing is that, you know, most of these issues are incredibly subjective and likely will not result in a reversal of the conviction. Um there's a, an argument about the judge allowing hearsay testimony about a gun stolen from Arius's, Arius's grandparents' house. Well, you know, that's she's trying to relitigate evidence and her guilt, and that's not going to happen in an appeal. Mm-hmm. The appeal is to litigate errors in the trial. Mm-hmm. And not that you don't think that the state proved enough for the jury to have heard about this evidence. Um, right. And then uh, that uh, the prosecution's mental health expert witness testified as to Arias' mental state in violation of the rules of testimony. So 
it's okay for her experts to testify about her mental state to excuse her brutal murder of Travis Alexander and to bolster her claim of self-defense. But when the prosecution expert testifies about her mental state based on her own testing, and it's not a, a, a fugue, and it's not post-traumatic stress disorder from abuse, then that's violating, you know, that's violating the rules. Right. I think it's also, you know, Jody Arias wants only, you know, the state has to present only the evidence that she thinks they should be allowed to present. And there should be areas that are off limits for them to refute her case, Mm -hmm. which is idiotic. Um, and I wonder how much Jody Arias is driving this bus as far as the appellate brief goes. Because it's over 300 pages. Good Lord. And it deals with things that, again, have are basically subjective complaints about things that occurred during the trial that had nothing to do with the trial itself, things that occurred outside the courtroom uh-huh. that had nothing to do with the trial itself and that the jury had no no idea about. Um, and then, she, you know, she makes some claims about the stun belt and leg braces that she had to wear. Um, I think forgetting that whenever she was... Uh, Whenever she was moving from the defense table to the stand, the jury was not present. Mm-hmm. So they weren't seeing her with the stun belt. And she alleges that Martinez enticed her to step down from the witness stand, uh, which would have exposed the restraints. Well, they argued that and they lost. Right. And that was when she, I don't know if you watched the trial when she stepped down to uh, demonstrate her linebacker pose. <laughs> and no, he went I, like this. I luckily, it, it's a I meme. Luckily, you can probably find it. I luckily missed that, but so. I, that's like good YouTube material for later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a meme somewhere. And oh, then, Lord. of course, um, of course, you know, a couple other things. She alleges that he barred women from the jury. Um, and, and another thing that's kind of funny is that it's not really clear. Arius had a guilt and innocent phase, innocence phase at which she was convicted, an aggravation phase at which the jury found aggravating circumstances. But she actually had mm-hmm. two sentencing trials or two sentencing hearings and um, it's not quite clear which sentencing hearing or which you know which uh, jury this these women were just were uh, barred from serving on and I'm, I'm sure if you look at the Wadir testimony it'll be abundantly clear why they were not uh, seated on the jury in fact there's one juror on the sentence, the second sentencing, that should not have been on the jury, but apparently got on the jury. 
So, uh, but we'll talk about that one when the appeal when the appeal <laughs> when the appeal is decided. Uh, and then the, right. the uh, Martinez engaged in prosecutorial, prosecutorial misconduct. I think we talked about it. You know, Martinez, he's brilliant. He works alone. He didn't have a net. And, you know, he's a little guy, but he he has a huge personality and a huge presence in the courtroom. Absolutely. Um, and he's very effective. And so I think that's just some sour grapes. So uh, right. those are her issues. The state actually has until uh, I think sometime next year to file their response. And once that happens, then Arias will have time to file a reply, and the Court of Appeal will decide whether they want to have oral arguments or uh, just submit it on the briefs. And so right. it's probably going to be, I would say, I would guess probably at least 24 to 36 months before there's any, any decision on Jody's direct appeal. Okay, okay. And well, she does have, she has a uh, a negligence suit against Kurt Nermy, one of her attorneys, and she's also pushing uh, uh, bar complaints against Juan Martinez. Uh, well, so those are, those are in the works. Uh, of course, she wants to run those shows, uh, for example, in, in the case where she, that she filed against Nermi, he wants to take her deposition and her attorney say, oh, no, no, she can't be deposed until her, her direct appeal is finished. Right. And then, and then if she gets a new trial, she can't be deposed until after her trial. The girl was on the stand for 18 days, I mean, you know, but this time maybe she won't testify. So, um, delusional woman. Uh, I'll leave it. Let's leave the listeners with that. She's delusional. We we go from one delusional woman to another, and this one actually had something occur within the past twenty four hours, and that's Dahlia Dipolito. The state yesterday responded to Dahlia. And said, you know, exactly what you'd expect them to say. We ain't giving you a right. trial. What are you talking about? So, right, real quick, exactly. I'm got to call it. I'm going to hop in the uh, screen room, but talk to the uh, listeners about Dahlia. Well, Dahlia is basically, she has her direct appeal at this point in time. And she is, uh, she's a little bit more restrained than Jody Arias. She's only raising four issues. Uh, the first one is that the uh, trial court did not let her attorneys question jurors when um, they uh, they thought that the juror was one of the jurors was sleeping, um, and so uh, that's one of the issues she's raising. Um, they she's also raising an issue regarding. Um, Regarding oh dear, uh, the admission of of uh, <laughs> my brain just went blank. 
um, an admission at trial of an allegation that she attempted to poison her husband, Michael DiPolito, prior to trying to arrange a hitman to kill Michael. And um, as with Arias, her attorneys say, well, she... uh, My brain is going blank. I don't know why this is happening tonight. Um, As with her, like Arias, she's thinking, well, you know, it was ruled inadmissible in the first trial, and that's why I got my, um, my retrial. So it's still inadmissible. And, again, cause and effect, not recognizing that when you put a witness on the stand and then you try to use that witness to say she never intended to kill Michael DiPolito, that the state has every right to cross-examine that witness about the statement from Dahlia DiPolito in which she said that... um, she had tried to poison Michael, and it didn't work. So right. Um, so they're they're complaining about that, and then uh, they are uh, still trying to claim that it was the Boynton Beach Police Department that manipulated Dahlia DiPolito, and put her into a position to where she would commit a crime. They, they basically objectively entrapped her. Uh, so she had no intent to commit the crime, and they forced her to commit it. Okay. Because in order, to, in order to argue subjective entrapment, you have to acknowledge or admit that you committed the crime. Uh, if you're busted buying drugs from an undercover officer – you have to admit that you bought drugs from an undercover officer or that you bought the drugs, but you argue that the officer entrapped you. You know, mm-hmm. in other words, kept following you up the street and saying, buy my drugs, buy my drugs, buy my drugs. I'm not going to stop till you buy my drugs. And that's why you finally relented and bought his drugs. Um, and so uh, they're, they're raising two issues on that. The, the underlying egregious conduct of law enforcement as well as the uh, court would not allow her to present objective entrapment because under Florida law, that is because it's a due process issue. It is a a question for the court, not the jury. It's a question of law for the judge, not a question of fact for the jury. And her attorneys argued that because um, there was a dispute about the facts that they should be able to present it to the jury. Mm-hmm. But the judge said, no, not that's not how it works. All right. So, um, right. And uh, they also are appealing. That, that, that They didn't raise the issue about the sleeping juror, which kind of surprises me. Um, but they also are uh, appealing based on the court's admission of theft of money from Mike DiPolito planning drugs and the text messages between her and, and her former lover, Michael Stanley, who she did the same thing to Mike Stanley she did to Mike DiPolito. 
She mm-hmm. professed her undying love. She lived with him. He bought her a Mercedes. He bought her an expensive engagement ring. They were going to get married. They were so in love. She cleaned him out, and then she left him and moved to Florida and married Mike DiBolito. Right. And so, you know, the fact that Mike Stanley, she went and, you know, got him back and manipulated him into trying to take everything from Mike DiBolito. And, you know, her plan this time, though, was that Mike DiPolito was going to die in order for her, her to get everything. So, yes, ma'am. Um, yes, ma'am. Well, Lisa, we actually do have our first guest of the evening, uh, Mr. Oh, Meese. And he's ready to discuss uh, talking about West Memphis and uh, talk about everything that's gone on. Without further ado. Great. Hi, Gary. How are you? I'm great, Lisa. How are you doing? Very well. Very well. So, yeah, we were we were just going through some of the other cases we've covered. And the uh, so West Memphis Three, what are those three misunderstood young teenage boys doing now? <laughs> well... <laughs> Uh, I haven't really not, – there's not that much going on that's new with them. Uh, I know uh, Eccles is posting regularly on his Facebook page, and I assume he's doing very similar things on Twitter where he's promoting, actively promoting his magic classes and his book that, and that okay. he plans to have coming out within uh, – the next couple of months, I think the uh, the book is actually scheduled for October thirtieth. Uh, oh, how perfect! Uh, well, yeah, so, I, you know, with, without thinking about it, I said it was on Halloween at some point when it was actually it's Halloween Eve. It's <laughs> this is the night before Halloween, but it's his, correct. It's his favorite holiday of the year, so you know, correct. Let's assume he gets and, an early start on it. So and, seven, uh, we're coming up. Oh, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. So go ahead. we're coming up on seven years since the Alfred pleas, and they've been working right. on their exoneration outside the prison walls. So, do we have any DNA so, test results that that absolutely prove who killed Michael, Chris, and Steve? Not that I've heard of. I wish we did. Me neither. Uh, the attorneys supposedly had all this great evidence that they were ready to present to the court back in, uh, mm-hmm. two, when was it, 2011? 2011. 2011, And, yeah. and uh, August, uh, what, the 17th or 19th or something. Anyway, they uh, they were, had all this evidence they were ready to present to the courts so that they could get this new trial mm-hmm. before before the deadline when they had to present the evidence Correct. to the prosecution to, to move forward. Then all, all of a sudden they worked out this deal where they pled guilty mm-hmm. to the Alfred plea, which is a guilty plea. It does have a component in there that allows them to say they're innocent, but it's a guilty Correct. plea, and then they get out, and then they act like they're victims. For mm-hmm. being able to walk free from uh, 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 convictions of murdering 
three small boys for no good reason whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, there was no caught. There was no. There's no excuse for that on any level. It's not. Couldn't have been a mistake. It could. It wasn't inadvertent. It wasn't. I mean, I don't know what the mitigating factors would be that you would claim, but they they certainly never claimed any of them at trial. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I haven't heard any since. I haven't heard of any efforts they've made to look for the real killers since. But maybe you've heard something. <laughs> Nothing other than on a podcast that was going gangbusters, and then all of a sudden had to pause. Yeah. Because some legal issue. Yes. They won't disclose. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. So I'm thinking seven you years. Had, you, I mean, they'll be they'll there's the experience on that podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. Uh, and I and you, I think decided you, I think not you sort to. Of understood yeah, I think you sort of understood why some of the uh, some of the rest of us decided not to step in there, but uh, and it wasn't so much necessarily the conversation you were going to have with Mr. Ruff. Uh, that isn't really where the most <laughs> where where most of the mm-hmm. uh, vi- uh, the vitriol comes from. Right. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's the aftermath and a lot of nasty things said. A lot of untrue things right. said, and then there's not. It's not. It's not as if there's some sort of reasonable dialogue possible. I mean, no. He did. No. He did give you a lot. He did let you talk for the most part, mm-hmm. and uh, but and he simply didn't want to listen to your arguments, and so and he didn't. He. Did, I don't think he engaged with you in any kind of honest manner, but he didn't treat you horribly either. I, no. I no. That. And. I, Although, it, you know, it, it's funny, and I, I guess I do do it because sometimes I get the thought in my brain, and as you might have heard a few minutes ago, if I don't let it out, it's going to go somewhere else. And then when it's my turn <laughs> to speak, I'll be like, uh, uh, uh. So I do get very excited. But, yeah, it's the funny thing is saying I'm closed-minded and they're open-minded, and yet they will not consider anything that points toward guilt. Right. As I as I told Ruff, I'll consider things that point to innocence and I'll tell you why I do not find those things to be credible. But yes. they can't do that as far as the unless they, you know, just rely on the, the standard ad hominem. Jesse was coerced. Uh, he didn't know and, what he was talking about. And, he got everything wrong. They fed him details. He's not intelligent enough to understand what he was saying. Correct. Or, or Correct. who anybody was that he was talking to, which is utter foolishness. <laughs> I know. He thought he, Stidham he, was, a, was a cop. Well, of course. <sighs> I, I assume you listened to the Stidham interview as well. No. And, uh, after, I, after the fact. You did not? No. I <laughs> I I just couldn't. I, I couldn't bear, uh, after my episode aired and the crap that went on on their page, 
I was like, right. yeah, I really don't want to hear Bob stroking Stidham's ego. Well, that's that's all it was, and it was. Uh, I only listened. I I think I only listened to it once. I may have listened to it twice, but uh, there was nothing to there was nothing to what Stidham had to say except. It, the whole thing was just an exercise in egomania, and there were two egomaniacs mm-hmm. on, on the phone, and so there wasn't really much else going on. They didn't discuss a lot of facts, uh, and the the page blew up with with absolute praise for Stidham's interview being the best thing they'd heard on the podcast in a long time, et cetera, et cetera. I know. And I, I just can't. I can't understand it. I I did listen to, to, to through the whole season, but I'm not listening to the, his new his new season uh, at all. I'm not. I'm really not interested, and I'm not interested in in it because I don't think he's an honest dealer in facts anyway. So why would I waste Correct. my time? And, and and I listened to him. I enough. agree. I already heard enough. I don't really need to hear more. Right. I, I you know and, I do tend to. Intend to listen in if he if he resumes the West Memphis three case, but I'm having a hard time under. I, I can I can think of probably a dozen potential if I just could just allowed to just throw out suspicions with no foundation whatsoever, just on the mm-hmm. basis of the fact that they're sketchy characters or they seem kind of uh, you know not really right. There's a, easily a dozen characters you can pull out of the woodwork in, in the West Memphis Three case and say, "Well, this guy he he sounds like somebody who could have done something like this." There's a bunch of right. guys, but there's no evidence. There's no evidence that any of them did it, and in many cases, they have they either have alibis or uh, they're, they uh, almost have, some of them have alibis, and then some of them there's just simply no evidence pointing to their involvement other than the fact that they're weird. Correct. You know, uh, and and so uh, it really raises a question of where he's going to go with this, except to the usual, the, the usual alternative suspects. And you know, not only is that wrong, in the sense that I just don't see how he can do that. It's it's a little bit depressing. I mean, they've been through mm-hmm. the, either. I mean, the thing with the, the father and the stepfather with. Mr. Hobbs and with Mr. Byers is they've both been through enough. They really don't need to hear any more. And, uh, uh, so, uh, did you ever get a response from Vicki Edwards about appearing on here or have you heard from her? No, I, I, I mean, I'm, let me check my messages on Facebook. I don't know that I got a response from her. Um, I don't know if she's really ready to talk publicly yeah. at this point in time. So if she's listening and she wants to call in, more than welcome to. But you know, if not, yeah, we'll we'll talk to her when she's ready. Um, but okay, no, my well my thing with reasonable. my thing with all this after 25 years. Bring some actual evidence, not your opinion about what this means or what that means. Bring us evidence. You say the defense team has it. You say the defense team is getting ready to move with it. Well, then, put up or shut up. 
If they're right. not guilty, what's the evidence that proves they're not guilty? What's the evidence that proves who really did it? And all we've got are opinions, and, and it's on both sides. It's just as bad. All we've got are opinions, although I have to say the non-side is a little bit more less about feeling and belief and more about evidence what little there was. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's the, the cum- accumulation of the, the totality of the evidence and not mm-hmm. one specific thing. And, and what seems to happen is somebody will focus in on one particular item. This is what happens on the supporter side. And they'll just say, well, you know, it couldn't, it, I don't think it really happened this way. I think it happened this way. And, and mm-hmm. you know, like the Hollingsworth or- fighting, well, you know, I would be the first to say that I I witness uh, witnesses are not the best source of evidence, but they are evidence, right. and and you know it's a place to start. If you if you are seeing as Damien Eccles was walking along the side of the road uh, on the night of the murders, within a sh- just a short distance from the murder site, and your clothes look wet and muddy. That's a pretty good eyewitness sighting that may, that should yeah. put you on the police radar. The police had that information. Uh, uh, the, the the murders occurred on a Wednesday, May fifth, nineteen ninety three. The police had that information by uh, May eighth, I believe, the Sunday, Pardon. and they talked they talked to Narlene Narlene Hollingsworth, who was the not the only one who saw him do this because she mm-hmm. had several other family members that also saw Damien Eccles, but she talked Correct. to the police on the next day. And so uh, that made him a, at least a somebody that the police should have been looking at within just days of the, um, of the murders. And, and of course they right. were looking at him. And uh, the problem is, is, you know, they, well, it's, not a problem so much, but you know there there was only so much they could do at that point. They didn't have enough to uh, uh, get an arrest warrant for him on the basis of one eye, eyewitness sighting, uh, right. and uh, they they were hoping to they were looking to get more information, more witnesses, and they weren't they had they had not ruled out at that point other people. Uh, I'll tell people that uh, the day before the arrest. They uh, they were still doing some interviews with uh, Aaron Hutchison for some reason the the little boy who was friends with the uh, the boys that were mm-hmm. killed Michael Moore Stevie Branch and Christopher Byers I'll like to right. mention their names so we don't forget those kids because honestly right. that's what it's all about it is about those boys and right. they this little boy that was friends with them had talked to. You know, you know the story, and I think a lot of your listeners do. That that he mm-hmm. had been at the police station with his mother at the time that the reports came in about the kill. The boys had been missing, and they were found, you know, in this horrible condition in uh, this this muddy ditch and in uh, what's called Robin Hood Hills, which is just a little wooded area in West Memphis. And right. he. Um, you know, he talked. To, the police talked to him several times. They thought he might have some good information. He never really had good information, even from the very start. He gave the very first information right. he gave was 
pretty outrageous. And it just went on from there. But he seemed like he could be a good source. Anyway, June 2nd, 1993. They, these, the West Memphis Three were arrested June 3rd, 1993. June 2nd, 1993, they were interviewing Aaron again, and they show him pictures of potential suspects. They had six potential suspects for various reasons mm-hmm. lined up in front of him. None of them were any of the boys that were the teenagers that were arrested the next day. They didn't have Eckhart right. in the photo. They didn't have Jason Baldwin in the photo. They didn't have Jesse Miskelly in the photo. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it's not this idea that they had this laser-like focus on Damian Eccles to the exclusion of anybody, anybody else possibly being involved is ridiculous. However, he was a good potential suspect. Correct. The, what's happened since you know since their release? Uh, it, there's been a there's been you know several movies released with that were uh, the west west of Memphis had really spurious information. Uh, what little bit of information was there, other than just these impressionistic images of of West Memphis, mm-hmm. uh, was very dubious at best. Um, and the final installment of the Paradise Lost series was – it was better than the second movie, which was really a travesty, but it was mm-hmm. just as far as the way it was made. But it was not – a it was didn't advance the story beyond the fact that uh, that the three were now Mark, Now they were, they were no longer looking at Mark Byers. Now it was Terry Hobbs. Right. They changed. They changed the alternative suspect on on the slimmest yeah. of, on the slimmest basis you can you can imagine, which is a single hair that may or may not have matched Terry Hobbs. Mm-hmm. And even if it did, there's a perfectly good explanation for why the hair would have ended up uh, entangled in one of the shoelaces uh, that were used to tie up the boys. I mean, the mm-hmm. boys were in and out of his house all the time. They'd been in. All three of the boys had been. In his house that day, correct. Um, and right. and we don't know for a fact that that's his hair, and and there's really no way of proving it. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, uh, and they had this awful fictional movie that was mostly about seemed to be, as I recall, I've only been able to sit through it one and a half times because it's just frankly boring. But uh, it seemed to be more about Ron Lax's romantic difficulties than anything else. Right, and, and, right. Uh, I, guess yeah, it, I guess it had something else going on there, but, you know, I, it didn't. I know. It was a very ineffective movie on many, many levels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was Dickie Hutchison got a reporter in Memphis fired. She Have got you a ever reporter heard that in Memphis story? fired? Yeah, she started having some kind of affair with one of the guys covering the story. I can't remember his name. Was it Starnes? And he ended up, I think he was with WMC, and I think he ended up getting fired. I can't remember who it was. I'm not going to even guess. For one thing, I thought you were talking about one of the print people, and I just couldn't imagine that. No, 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 no. It It was a TV it was a TV. TV reporter. Well, they, those guys will yeah. do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 
So uh, uh, no, and, and it wasn't Mark. <laughs> No, it, it wasn't either of the guys from the commercial appeal. I knew better than that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, you know the 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 hypocrisy. I mean, they mis they misrepresent the mitochondrial DNA. They act as though it's nuclear DNA when it's not. Um, and then I, I the other thing the 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 tired trope is well that doesn't prove he murdered him. That doesn't prove he's a murderer. Well, yeah. In and of itself, you're right, it doesn't. But when you link it up, I I once counted up the coincidences that had to happen. And they're convicted. I mean, they're the unluckiest sons of bitches on the face of the planet. Because the fates just did not align for them. Because all these little coincidences happened. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, for, for instance, for instance, the polygraphs, you know, it, it admittedly not the best and most accurate. Let's stipulate not the best and most accurate mm-hmm. of tools, but it does it, it does have its uses. And and uh, but they were extremely, extremely either they're guilty or they were extremely unlucky with polygraph because not only mm-hmm. the two that actually took polygraphs, Miskelly, the two two of the suspect, two of the killers that took the polygraphs, Eccles and and Miskelly failed polygraphs. Who uh, were uh, Michael Carson passed his polygraphs, so right. he was telling he seemed to be telling the truth about Jason Baldwin confessing to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm having I'm having one of those brain moments. Um, <laughs> a buddy Buddy Lucas Buddy Lucas uh, passed his polygraph, and when they asked him about uh, Jesse Muskelly giving him this, these shoes, which is a strange thing because they they told these stories independently of each other about Muskelly giving uh, uh, Muskelly giving his friend. Buddy Lucas, these shoes, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's not something that you would think would come up in a murder confession if it wasn't somehow relevant. But, right. But and of course it it is, and and the the thing is is then it's supposed to, and then so you know they give they give Lucas this this polygraph and he turns out according to the polygraph, hey, it looks like he actually did give the shoes. To uh, Buddy Lucas with tears dropping out of his eyes the next morning after he murdered helped murder these kids. Mm-hmm. Ken Watkins, uh, the, the little friend that was hanging around with him most of the day, and they they had a hard time locating him for various reasons. But they did finally get yeah. in touch with him, and they did some, they interviewed him uh, several months after the fact, and and he ended up telling a story about uh, uh, Eccles confessing to him. And guess what? He passed uh, his his polygraph test. Indicated he was telling the truth about that particular confession. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Echo, uh, Muskelly had I don't know. You know, we can talk about confessions forever, but he had I don't know how many confessions that. I mean, I have a hard time keeping track, but it was, you know, just on the record confessions. I, I think it's six, and there's five or six other confessions that you can point to that he he made that we just don't have transcripts for necessarily. Correct. 
And, and so, you know, there was, so, yeah, that were never used as evidence, but there was Kim Floresca the day before he was arrested. Yes, exactly. On June 2nd. Exactly. And, and, and he had told, he had been, he, it, you know, he and uh, Dennis Carter and this other kid had called in this tip about uh, the vagrant that was hanging around behind on the ra- around mm-hmm. the railroad tracks over on by by Missouri Missouri Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it turned out to be Tracy Laxton, who was is one of the people that got sort of thrown around as a suspect, even though he seemed to have a pretty good alibi. And he was in uh, uh, on the other side of Mississippi, close to Alabama, at the time the killings went on. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, they called in this tip, and then it turns out that. Uh, Dennis Carter said that uh, that Miss Kelly had told him that Baldwin and uh, Eccles, Eccles had uh, been involved in the killings, and that's right predates the you know so it's it's just it that's another semi confession going on there. He knows something. He knew mm-hmm. something. He knew, of course, he knew his own involvement, but he never really, and who can blame him, but he never really wanted to fess up to it until he just couldn't keep it to himself any longer. And then he blabs, blabs, blabs. But he did it, mm-hmm. with, he did it with his friend Dennis, who was a very good friend of his, Buddy Lucas, a very good friend. Uh, Kim, uh, I can't think of her, you, you mentioned her name. Floresca, I, I, I believe her last it was. Name yeah, Florence. F L O R. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then uh, he had these uh, sessions with um, uh, Stidham during the summer, and there's notes on that, and there's no indication that he was pleading. He was talking to Stidham as if he didn't do the crime. It was just figuring mm-hmm. out what strategy they were going to use. Not Correct. that Jesse was any great help, but he was. He did have an opinion. Uh, then you know, and then he had these, you know, these subsequent these confessions subsequent to his conviction and sentencing with the troopers, with Stidham. There were two with the prosecutors, and then uh, one of them whom we have a transcript of, and then there was another that Stidham wasn't there, and it, we don't have a transcript of that. But I let's assume he didn't confess to anything new, but it was another confession. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, and then um, they had uh, this uh, uh, inmate uh, sent a letter talking about uh, Miss Kelly confessing to him. Mm-hmm. And then Michael you know, Johnson. And then later, much 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 later, we had the the, bit, the business with the true true romance from the web pages who mm-hmm. had some sort of thing going with with Miss Kelly and. She said that uh, – well, she didn't say he, she, he confessed to her, but she had been a, this ardent supporter. And then after getting to know him really well and asking him about what really went on, suddenly she was no longer an ardent supporter. Right, so, right. You know, that's an awful lot of smoke to, for there not to be a fire just in that one right. thing. And, there's, and, right. that, and that would be just – if that's bad luck, that's creating your own bad luck. But the, mm-hmm. you know there are uh, uh, there are, you know there's many many things like that in this case. I I really wonder with Miskelly, he's had three uh, arrests for driving without a license within the last year, and he's had this other thing that came up in uh, a couple of months ago with a, something to do with a dog, and he was 
he was found in contempt of court because he wasn't mm-hmm. following through with the, the plans. Plans. I just wonder how much longer he can he can stay out of the justice system before he gets sucked back in. Uh, I, don't I don't think it's going to be long. No. no, and I think I think the only thing that's kept him going for a long time is the. And I will give the man credit. The unwait for this, if nothing else, the unwavering love and support he's got from his father over the years, mm-hmm. uh, for good or bad, I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe he should, maybe he should have been a little tougher with the boy, but in the in the right sort of way, I mean. Right. But, but uh, what scares he, what scares he, me is Miss Kelly Senior. He's not in good health. When he no, goes, not. That's what scares me. Well, because I, I think I don't, when I don't he goes, Miss Kelly is going to decompensate in a big way. Well, I think so too. The other decompensation that's likely to go on is uh, Miss uh, Eccles is putting a, an awful lot of he's pulled pulled out of his art career. I don't know how successful that actually was, but you know he seemed he acted like he was really getting someplace with that. And then he seemingly just arbitrarily dropped it, but he's putting all his all his energies it seemingly into into this book, uh, this magic book, and giving mm-hmm. these magic classes. He's having some session within the next week at the Brooklyn Bowl. It's a fairly large venue, but I don't think he's supposed to fill it up. But they, you mm-hmm. know, they still have tickets available, and it's less than a week away, so it's not not a sold out event. And any, it's one hundred and fifty dollars. I don't know mm-hmm. how many people really want to pay one hundred and fifty dollars to hear Eccles. I'm sure there's some, but how many people want to pay one hundred and fifty dollars to hear Eccles talk about magic? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is most of what he says is fairly generic, and you can find a lot. There's a zillion magic books out there. If you want to find out about magic, he's got there's it, there's a whole world of stuff out there that you couldn't have found 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Certainly not 50 years ago, but not even 25 he, years ago. He gives and me he's he's, he's always given me the impression of somebody who who takes the book on the topic. Skims it and then just regurgitates the sentence here and sentence here that they don't really understand what they're talking about. It's like taking a book about engineering and then trying to hold himself out as an engineer. Right. As long as you don't ask him to design something or calculate, you know, surface area or calculate uh, load weight, he's fine. But once you ask him to do something that you actually have to know what you're freaking talking about, then he's lost. And that's the impression I've always gotten from him, that he just knows the surface because it sounds cool, makes him look cool. Well, he, and he doesn't know – he doesn't seem to know a whole lot about anything except this one topic because that's mm-hmm. all he ever talks about. Not all he ever talks It's pretty much all he ever talks about. And um, this goes to what you're, talk- what you're talking about, which is he seems to be 
he's having this socio. I'm not saying he said he was a sociopath. I'm not saying he is. He said he was mm-hmm. a sociopath in his social security disability application. I'll take his yeah. word for it. And sociopaths have a very limited range of emotion, and it's mostly involves it mostly involves their ego needs and their in, instincts. So mm-hmm. Eccles, when he has to step beyond that into being empathetic toward other people and understanding what's going on with other people, having normal familial relations, it's simply beyond him. So he, if, if he's going to do that, he has to fake it. And you can mm-hmm. only that kind of fakery can work on a certain level because there's certainly lots of people out there who are selling themselves without uh, this way, and maybe he can do it. But I just don't think the man has the talent for really doing that or the energy for it. He, he mm-hmm. seems to he, – he, every time he ha- he's had several different things going on since he's been out of prison, and he he's – you know, he had this Reiki uh, workshop thing he had going on in Salem, Massachusetts, and he acted yeah. like that was a big deal to him. And the next thing you know, you don't hear another word about it. And uh, you know, and and the same. And he did a very similar thing with this this so-called art career, where he, we were subjected to constant. Well, I subjected myself to his constant postings <laughs> about his artwork, and then. The next thing you know, well, forget it. I'm not interested in ever doing that again. You know, right, right. <laughs> hey, I've got a, I, I've got lots of great bargains here. You know, just you know, send me some cash and I'll send you some of my art. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I, I just don't. I, I think what I'm getting at is, I think there'll be some decompensation whenever he has to confront the reality of being basically a small-time has-been celebrity whose fame rested almost exclusively on the fact that he was a he is a so-called victim of the so-called Arkansas uh, of the Arkansas a judicial system which is supposedly corrupt even though when you ask people about this corruption they can never come up with any concrete examples just like it, I can find things wrong with that police investigation just like I can find things wrong with just about any police investigation that mm-hmm. I read about or study about a little bit they make mistakes and they made mistakes in this case but to suggest that they were it was the keystone cops and and uh and they didn't have any idea what they were doing and they went about it all the all wrong and etc etc it's just not it's just not right there's some things i wish they had done and they didn't do you know particularly the interviews with the parents mostly because mostly because there's several reasons for that. One is, you, you, you know, you can. They did a really good interview with uh, John Mark Byers, and that particular interview, there's some good information there that actually indicates pointed towards um, Eccles at that, some point. But and it, it, but but also not Eccles specifically, but some there was some mysterious things that went on with. With people, with a guy taking pictures of their house and so forth, mm-hmm. and, you know, it. I don't know if it was Eccles or not. Nobody knows, but it certainly raised a question. <clears throat> the The but, thing is, is you don't you don't know what other kind of information the other parents could have provided, correct? Because they weren't asked. 
but the thing, the other thing though, is that the interview with Mark Byers came about because people were calling in saying we think Mark Byers and Melissa Byers were involved in this. Right. So tipsters were were pointing West Memphis PD toward them. So then they did do interviews as potential suspects because they recorded those from the outset. As far as Mark Byers goes, they didn't record their interview with Melissa, but it was a little bit more in-depth and there were more detailed notes taken. But, you know, if these these, uh, witnesses that said they saw Terry walking behind the boys on South Macaulay, at five o'clock on Mar- on May fifth or six o'clock or somewhere between five o'clock and six o'clock, they don't know when. If they had called West Memphis PD and reported that, Terry would have been interviewed the same way. But I West Memphis so. PD had no way of knowing that. Right. Right. You know, all I'm saying is there should have been there should have been a stab, standard I, procedure where they did they did interviews with the parents. I agree. And, and it's hard to, I, it's hard not to agree with that. And that would in you know I and a part of what I'm saying saying that is because we wouldn't have these conversations about the parents being alternative suspects 25 years later. I think if those interviews had taken place then. Well, no, and, no, because I remember Mark Byers' interview being used as saying, "Well, see, he's lying about this, and see." He's lying about that, and he doesn't have an alibi. And see, <laughs> yeah, they didn't talk to Tony Hudson, so we don't know. And they didn't really talk to Melissa, so we don't know. So, I mean, you know, it could still, it would have helped. I think it would have helped us, you and I. Yes. But it wouldn't, and I think the reason they didn't interview them all in that same manner is, A, they didn't receive any information that any of them were involved Mark Byers and Melissa Byers. Right. And B, the boys were not related. And with the unrelated victims, the chance of a parent being involved diminishes. If it was Stevie and Amanda, of course. We're not related to each other. Right. You know, it wasn't Stevie and Amanda. It wasn't Ryan and Chris. It wasn't Michael and Dawn which would have meant mom and dad were at the top of the suspect list. Right, which, and sadly enough, that's a fairly common sort of crime, while the kind mm-hmm. of crime that this was being committed by a parent involving your own Correct. child and two, and two, Unrelated. two of his friends. Correct. I, Correct. You know, I'm not saying, I'm sure there must be a case somewhere where that's happened, but I'm not aware of one. And uh, this was brought up during the um, the season on Ruff, and uh, I don't know that any any of his you know vast horde of uh, basement uh, detectives came up with a single case uh, that they could cite either. Maybe they did. A, I I've been from those pages, so I I can't really say what they found, but I certainly never heard few, about it. A few of them came up with family annihilators where the target was actually the wife and the children and the, the other people in the house were collateral damage. There was one yes. man in England who went crazy and butchered everybody in 
his apartment and I think neighbors who were in the hallway. Um, right. But he was a, he was a family annihilator uh, who, again, was targeting his wife because he and the wife were having problems. And I think she was either believing him or throwing him out. And so she was the primary target. And the people that lived with them in the house and the children in the house were collateral damage. Okay. Well, I'm sure that happens. Uh, I mean, I'm sure, it, so, I'm sure it's happened any number of times, know, I, but it's not, it's I have, not common. I have and not certainly. found a case where the, where the only, the target was a child and unrelated children were present. Because generally in abuse situations, the abuse occurs in the home behind closed doors. Right. And it's hidden. I mean, you know, it's it's not something that occurs out in the open in public. No. Uh, you know, I just it's 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 such a stretch to even yeah. come up with uh, to come up with that 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 that's an argument that's an argument against these alternative scenarios. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's certainly possible, and I, I it's certainly possible that this was some sort of that the, the West Memphis Three had this series of fantastic coincidences and made a lot of disastrous choices on their own, you know, mm-hmm. bragging about the kill, uh, committing the killings and so forth, and, and it all backfired on it. It's, that's possible. It's unlikely, and maybe it was, a, you know, a serial killer who was just, you know, just happened to be in the woods that, that, that evening. But, you know, it's possible, but it's, it's just one of the, it, again, it's, unli- it's very, very unlikely, and there's no evidence to suggest that that's the case. And so, you know, unless somebody can come up with new evidence proving a scenario like that or some other scenario, then, uh, you know, let's let's go with the evidence that's there, which strongly, strongly indicates that the West Memphis Three were the actual killers. Uh, Right. As you know, uh, you know, when you have three suspects and all three suspects at some point, Either, uh, either outright confess to police or blurt out to uh, a confidant in a in a detention center or at a softball game, brag to a crowd that they killed children. You know, when there's that just in that that particular those particular instances, you've got enough again and so much smoke. Why would people do that? Why would any any even a teenager think of some do something so stupid over and Correct. over again. Correct. Not, no. not to say bad yeah, about all te- some teenagers are wise beyond their years, but most aren't. <laughs> right. Right. And I don't think it would have gone as far as it did. I mean, there are so many things that just, um, you know, like the the mom going around. We were here. Remember, we were here. I left you a note. And then, yes. of course, those people say, yeah, Pam came by and said they were here, and she left me a note. Do you have the note? No, I don't know where it is. 
No, I threw the note away. You know, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's just, and, and that what's really funny is it seems more that uh, they knew they were going to be targeted or looked at before the mm-hmm. West End of Speedy even thought about looking at them. Because right. Gail Brunell lost her crap when she found police talking to Baldwin and Eccles and Dominique Tier. I mean, she just blew yeah. a gasket. Of course, bless her heart, I think that the gasket is not very tightly sealed and probably no. blows quite easily. But, um, you know, she just went, she just went and, nuts. And, and, and then Jason, accusing her husband you know, of, her of turning Jason in. Behalf, which, is, would have, which would have been quite a, quite a show. Uh, Correct. And, and, you know, they, they, you know, they already had Damien on the radar. And Jason gave the, – the answers he gave on that question, that FBI checklist, were perfectly reasonable, sensible answers as far as he went. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then, you know, which is a whole lot of how do, you know, how do you think the killer felt? Well, Damien says, oh, he felt happy that he killed these little kids. And uh, Jason says, well, I like, don't I know. don't know. Yeah, exactly. And, and and he so he was doing fine with the police talking to him up to that point, and probably would have was allaying suspicions that he was involved. Though how pulled this off by himself is, you know, pretty quite. It's that mm-hmm. seems unlikely, but and you know they were together all the time. I mean, they practically yeah. lived together. And, right. Uh, but. Jason popped really the fact that his mother said, don't talk to the, I mean, she went, she did go, she went way, way out there with that. And the police at that point, their suspicions should have been raised. Here's a kid that Mm -hmm. could just be telling us these simple questions, simple answers to questions. And in fact, uh, after the arrest, you know, Gail and um, uh, her, her uh, Terry Grinnell, her husband came in to talk to I think I think it's I'm almost sure it's Ridge. They came in to talk to Ridge and uh he told them over and over again, Look, if you know, Jason's got an alibi, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. And, you know, it, all he has to do is just tell us something about what he was doing that day, that evening and <clears throat> if we can verify that, get it corroborated, then you know, we'll we'll cut him loose. Yeah, and um, and you know, Gail didn't want to hear any of that. She was still making the right. argument that that he was in school that he was at school that day, which because Jesse said it happened silly. at nine o'clock. Jesse said it happened at noon. Right, he was at school. Yeah, um, right. yeah, and that's the thing. I, I think that's something people on um, on the the page uh, didn't understand. But when when you you don't have a successful alibi if other people give it for you. You have to give police the alibi and then they corroborate it with other people. But you have to give it to them. Right. You can't have it given for you. Right. And and all three of them originally said that they were just Hanging out. And I think they all three said they were just at home all evening. And then the, as, mm-hmm. as time went on, 
Miss Skelly suddenly had uh, the wrestling trip, which wasn't really much of an alibi. And then the whole thing about the the visits to the uh, uh, the police visits to uh, Highland Gardens Trailer Park, and mm-hmm. uh, once again, you know, you have three police officers, two uh, one's a sheriff's deputy, and two police officers, two different law enforcement departments, three different visits mm-hmm. to uh, uh, the trailer park, uh, all mm-hmm. within about a half an hour, about the t- about the time the boys went into the woods. So it would have been right. a great alibi if the, if the police – it would have been a wonderful, amazing alibi for Jesse Miskelly if the police w- could have said, oh, yeah, he was there. We saw him there. Well, right, right. They said, they said no, he, he, they, we didn't see him there at all, and we know him. We know his family. We know his father. Mm-hmm. I've known him forever. And so uh, then Dollahite certainly knew them, and I think the other officers did too. And um, – so you had that a choice between believing those officers, putting their careers and, and livelihood and everything else on the line, or you had a bunch of people from the trailer park not and with you know, came forward with a bunch of conflicting stories about where Miss Kelly was, mm-hmm. what he was doing all afternoon, and then and went so far as to claim he was actively involved in negotiating with the police about what what needed to be done, uh with this slapping incident that brought him to the uh, trailer park to begin with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they, what they did was they overreached. If they just said, look, you know, we, we, if he'd had three people, if he'd had four people that just said, yeah, I was hanging around with Jesse all afternoon at the trailer park and he was over at such and such's house with me and all the stories sort of lined up pretty closely. So it was credible. Right. Him. Too slick. They could. They he at least had some credible. He would have had some alibi witnesses that made some kind of sense. But instead, mm-hmm. he had alibi witnesses that were conflicting with each other. And then you had to weigh their word against three police officers. Well, who are you? Who is right. the jury going to believe? They're not going to believe these people wearing yellow right. ribbons and proclaiming their love for little Jesse. It just wasn't going right. to happen. And the fact that so, conflicting. You know, I mean. You know, he left with different people at different times to go to the wrestling match and uh, talk to the police officer he, in different places and places the police officer was never was. With, yeah, I mean, he, you know, two he, different people he, when he, the police but, officer drove in. Yeah, it was all. Well, it, 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 it wasn't just that. I mean, it was Christy. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I'm trying to get remember who, who there was. There were several. I think Christy Jones said she, she was sitting out on the porch with him for an hour and a half. And uh-huh. Dennis Carter said he was walking around the, the trailer park with him and uh-huh. uh, uh, his his girlfriend. Uh, I know her name. Susie Brewer. <laughs> anyway, his girlfriend. Yeah, Susie Brewer said that you know she'd been with him for all but just a very few minutes that evening. But n- those stories don't right. jive. They don't make any and, sense. And that's, those aren't the only examples of that. So when you Another, have that many alibi witnesses giving conflicting stories, the jury's going to tend to discount all of them. Yeah. And, well, and the other thing was, uh, was it Connie Molden or Mulder, the little kid, the little kid who was sure. slapped, his mom? She was going yeah. around the trailer park handing out the police report copies and telling people Jesse was here. 
it was Stephanie Dollar that was doing that. Stephanie Dollar. Stephanie okay, Dollar. I couldn't remember. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, I don't, oh. she. Okay. She was handing out and that that, that event. You know, every every witness. Well, you know, why do you remember this? Well, because Stephanie came around with the police report, and she gave me the police report. Well, yes. And when they say that, the jury says you're lying through your teeth. You know, that's just right. that's just human nature. Stephanie, you know, I, I guess she's smart enough to re- to have remembered that this might have gone on, and so she, you know, she put, you know, got these reports out, handed them out to everybody, and they admitted, oh yeah, Steph, we talked to Stephanie uh-huh. about this, and uh-huh. so that really hurt the credibility. Yeah, but, you know, and, and I think uh, I think part of the problem is that they didn't believe. Jesse Miss Kelly could do this. And that's what made them go so overboard to try to uh, extract him from the situation in which he had found himself. You know, that's sort of true, except Dennis Carter. I I believe it was Dennis Carter in his interview with the police Mm -hmm. said, uh, and by the way, uh, the few people that actually came, but that actually came forward or talked to police early on with with Miss Kelly's alibis, they really didn't. Mm-hmm. They they didn't. They didn't mention. I mean, C- Carter didn't mention anything about being with Miss Kelly that particular day. Uh, right. Until much right. later until, it, but he 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 said that he wasn't surprised. This is one of his best friends, and he says he wasn't surprised that uh, Miss Kelly would be involved in this. Because he's yeah, easily we, influenced. Right. So but we have to remember then, you know, Ron Lax went around and, you know, he probably had some long talks and come to Jesus meetings with all those people who initially didn't mention an alibi for Miss Kelly and also said, Yeah, it doesn't surprise me he likes to beat people up that, you know, then Ron Lax strong arms him into changing their opinions and statements. Yeah. Just as he got he got prosecution witnesses to withdraw their statements. Right. Ken Watkins, Buddy Lucas, uh, William Jones, mm-hmm. they all they all got a visit from Ron Lax and they all changed their mind about testifying. Mm-hmm. And I think Lax was very clever about how he did this. And he went yeah. in there and and played played. He was their helpful friend who was just there to help them out to make sure they mm-hmm. didn't get into trouble themselves. And you know the way to get it to to, to make sure you stay out of trouble with this is don't testify. Yeah. Sort of true. Sort of true. Right. You know. Because if you lie, well, you, you, they could put you in jail. They could put you in prison for perjury. Well, yeah, they could, right. but. All you have to do is not lie, and you know there was some. But other unfortunately, if uh, you know if you if you have negative information, you're lying. If you have, you want to make up some positive information, you're good. Right, right. So, and, and he drove that anyway, fancy BMW, all, so you know he there there may have been promises made uh, by Lax. For some good information, kind of like the hundred thousand dollar billboards. Yeah, you know. In the last several years. 
Yeah, there wasn't that much money floating. There wasn't a whole lot of money floating around uh, uh, 1993, 94 in this case. Uh, Lax bought him. Well, Lax really volunteered, volunteered himself. Lax really volunteered yeah. himself and then presented a bill for his services to the courts. I mean, honestly, if it had not been a death penalty case, he wouldn't have been interested. That I mean, mm-hmm. it, that's what had his interest. Oh, definitely. He wanted to make correct. sure that Beckles didn't get the death penalty. And yeah. So let's prove him innocent because otherwise he may get the death penalty. And, of course, Eccles guaranteed that he was going to get the death penalty the minute he decided that he, despite the advice of his attorneys, he wanted to testify. So he did, and he put on such a good act there that the jury said, you know, if they had any doubts before, they were gone by the time by the, the end of the second day of testimony. Because oh yeah, he, definitely. He was he was he was he was clearly a manipulative liar, and it was very clear from this his testimony yeah. that, in that indeed he was perfectly capable of not of doing bald face lies, and that he had and that he had he was a weird kid who was certainly capable of doing the, these deeds, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and his his courtroom behavior didn't help either. Uh, you know, making faces at the parents and uh, that sort of stuff uh, you, that doesn't go over well with adults. Right. Although I I don't know that any of that happened in front of the jury, because as I understand it, uh, a lot of it was in the pre-trial phases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although I, you know, I'm sure there were some things that he did uh, in front of the jury because I, I think they let the defense sit right outside, right next to the jury box. Well, yeah. It's been a I, long time since I looked at the trial videos. I, uh, yeah, so, I mean, some of the things were even being brought in and out of the uh, uh, courthouse and that the jury wouldn't have been privy to that. In fact, you right. really, you would only know about it from seeing the footage of that, but um, I understand. I understand he had a habit of turning around and looking at the parents, and really in very odd behavior. I mean, all three of the defendants were their behavior was. But I think Baldwin seemed to handle himself in court fairly well. He seemed to shrink down into himself and did his best to look like he was 12 years old without yeah. putting his head down between his knees like Miss Kelly, which was overdoing it. And then, uh, right. but uh, Eccles, you know, was apparently staring around at, uh, you know, swiveling around in his chair and doing lots of other things that are just inappropriate. And, uh, you know, and you can put it down to being a cocky, stupid teenager. Yeah. As, and, you know, there's some truth to that. But the fact is, is it didn't help him. It didn't help him with the judge. Right. I don't think his attorneys and, liked him very much. And, 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 and it I'm didn't sh- help him with the jury. Yeah. And I'm sure there were a few times with the jury that he turned those shark eyes on them and just stared at because he had that habit of going around staring at people and just staring at them to stare at them. Yeah. You know. 
so I don't think he broke that for the for the jury, and he probably did the same thing to them. Just pick out a juror and just blank stare at him, and that's creepy. He's very creepy. Yeah. To this day, he's, he's creepy. creepy. He's he's just as creepy now as he ever was, but he's always mm-hmm. been creepy, and um, yeah. You, it it you can see it in the the, the very first Paradise Lost movie, the, the clip at the end where he talks about being the West Memphis boogeyman. I mean, mm-hmm. it's somebody who's clearly very disturbed who is talking about themselves and this as this some sort of mythic monster figure. And you know, he's on trial for his very life. And instead of taking it seriously, he thinks it's all just a big joke and somehow doesn't apply to him. And again, some of this right. is being a stupid, cocky teenager, but there were two other teenagers who were on trial then, and neither one of them were stupid. I don't think either one mm-hmm. of them is a genius, but neither one of them was stupid enough to do anything like that. And uh, But Eccles thought nothing of it. He's probably proud of it now. Oh, I'm sure he is. Well, you know, it was such a uh, and unless such a, the audience it was such wants a sympathetic to hear portrait that <laughs> it was such a sympathetic portrait that it won the heart of Laurie Davis. What can we say? Oh gosh, yes. <coughs> yeah, Talk about creepy, creepy finding creepy. Yeah, I I finally watched Paradise Paradise Lost Three Purgatory, and. She's as bad as he is. I mean, I, I wonder. I, I wonder maybe there's somewhere there's some new new uh, notch on the autism spectrum of well, you know, where he, you're just a little on the creepy side. Her, you know, her eyes and the way she talks. It's just something about her. It's just. There was there was an interesting thing that somebody had posted recently on on one of the uh, discussion pages about her description of some of her childhood activities, where she liked to uh, sneak around her neighborhood and stare into people's windows, and she liked get, she like liked getting away with things. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. She and didn't I read things. didn't I read somebody saying she like awarded herself a prize and held a parade for herself? And she was the only yeah, one there. Actually, well, she wasn't the only one there, but she she just entered she, she I think she got her dad's car and put, you know, signs up over it like she's the homecoming queen or something and just uh, okay. put it in this parade and she had she had no role whatsoever. Nichols is bragging. Uh, there's an interview where he's bragging, probably more than one, but I know I've seen it, at least one interview, where he's bragging about this being, you know, a, a, the, a sign of how special she is and how wonderful she is. And I'm thinking, <laughs> this is very strange. Yeah, this is it, it, this is his book, okay? Right. We, you know, we gotta allow it. His brain just does not work the way. Most brains work. No, and 
apparently hers doesn't either, and because mm-hmm. she's she latched on to this creepy eighteen year old guy on the basis of seeing one movie, and right? She up upended her whole life to be close to yeah. him. Yeah, and she you know, inserted herself into his life and got rid of anybody that could be competition. Right. She because drove, as I understand it. The the wedge with his family is not entirely him. It's partially him because they don't serve any purpose for him anymore. Right. But right. that it was, you know, it was her. She initially alienated them from him. Right. And she certainly did that with Domini and his son mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, any possible familial you know, father-son connection that Eccles might have been able to build or rebuild after his uh, release from prison, all that's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, at this point, at this point, you know, I, I can't imagine that uh, um, Seth or whatever name, or Damien or whatever name he's using at this point really would want to, you know, be a part of this guy's life. Um but you know, I could be wrong about that because I don't know. But you know, he he's had an opportunity for seven years to 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 get to know his own child, and he's chosen not to do that. I don't Correct. think he's had any contact with his mother and sister in in years. And uh, I I think I saw some plaintive note to him on um, a web page or Facebook or something uh, some months back where. You know, she just sort of, you could say, here I am, please talk to me, and Mm -hmm. just totally ignored. It's it's, it's really sad. It's really sad. His mother doesn't deserve to, I don't think she was the greatest mother in the world, but she certainly, I don't think she deserves to be treated like that. His sister doesn't need to be treated like that. The son doesn't need to be treated, hasn't done anything Mm -hmm. to deserve being treated like that. Yeah, and but you know, none of them... and, and uh, Dominic was perfectly willing to work toward having a relationship between this father and son, but you know, mm-hmm. Lori Davis inje- in, it, uh, inserted herself into that, and uh, yeah. while he was still in prison, and continued it upped her game whenever he got out of prison. Right, but you have to remember too, though, for Eccles, his mama, his sister, and Dominic and his son didn't have money and didn't do anything to get him out of prison. That was all Lori. Yeah. So he has no use for them. No. They serve no purpose and in his life. You no. Know, that's and, part you of know, the sociopath. Yeah. He seems and when to be Lori using... seems to serve a purpose, she'll be history too. Or when he ceases to serve a purpose for her, because they're birds yeah. of a feather. Yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, there was, I don't know if you're familiar with that Guardian article or not, but there was an article in the, the British newspaper. I mean, we may have even discussed it in a previous interview I, I, I did with you, but uh, the uh, there's an article in the Guardian uh, about. Their, the troubles in their marriage over the last, you know, seven years that just came out within the last year, and 
how, you know, they both felt like committing suicide and, you know, was very troubled and so on and so forth. And this is when they were, you know, hanging out with Peter Jackson, uh, mm-hmm. hanging out with Johnny Depp. Uh, they were the toast of the town, traveling to Europe, traveling to New Zealand, doing all these things. And, of course, he acts like he was a total basket case. He, In retrospect, he talks about this as if he was a total basket case during this time. But if you actually look at what he was doing, he was having what should have been, you know, a wonderful kind time. Life. And, it, you yeah. know, and if he did, if he wasn't enjoying it, all he had to do was say, look, you know, I'm not ready for all this yet. Instead, yeah. you know, he's hanging out with Marilyn Manson and blah, 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 blah. But I think, and, you know, I, I think a big part of that, though, is he's such a liar. So, you know, I, I'm doing all these things and, you know, dream of a lifetime for, you know, everybody. But trust me, it was awful. It was horrible. I wasn't having any fun. I was a basket case. I couldn't deal with it. I just spent all these years in prison. I mean, it's like, oh, I was, you know, doing these wonderful things, but still feel sorry for me because, you know, take my word for it. I was miserable the whole time. I still need you right. to feel sorry for me. I still need right. your pity. Um, right. It's if all an act. Claim he was, if, he would, if he could claim he was dying during that time and it would be a credible claim, it, he, it would do it since he claimed he was dying in prison. Correct. He was, he was dying in prison. Dying That's why they prison. had to make that deal. Yeah, right. before they had to make the no, deal instead of waiting four months. Dying of. Mm-hmm. And his teeth were supposedly were all knocked out by the vicious Beating from the vicious beatings given by the guards, but right. I heard of him having any dental work since, and and his teeth looked yeah, and, in I, pretty good shape for the guy for his age and so forth. He he was released in Jonesboro. They drove how many hours? An hour and a half, two hours to Memphis. He didn't go to the med and go to ICU. He went to the Madison. No, and partied on the rooftop all night long. Right. And was hanging out in the lobby the next next morning with Eddie Vedder and a- mm-hmm. accessing uh, accidentally accessing uh, porn sites on a cell phone, which he, he acted as if he didn't even know such things existed prior to being right. released from prison. Right. And, but next thing you know, he's accessing porn sites by accident. Mm-hmm. Who knows how that could have happened? Well, yeah, because that's how it always <laughs> happens, Gary. Don't you know? <laughs> No I one ever purposely goes to the porn. Okay, <laughs> I I had a friend in when I lived in Marion, and uh, one night I was on the computer and all these pop ups start coming, and he calls his son, and he's like, "What did you do? What were you doing up here on this computer?" And he's like, oh, "Look, Dad, I'm sorry. It was an accident. I was looking for something else, and I clicked the link." And oh my God! <laughs> and it was just uh, yeah, I, we don't buy that at not one bit. He had screwed I up his the, computer I and heard had the his same computer taken from away. A teenager myself a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. I did <laughs> the same exact thing. The same exact Although thing happened. I I will warn you, there are certain terms you have to be very careful when you search, because you'd be surprised what kind of sites they come up on. I can't think well, of any right now, but yeah. <laughs> well, 
I haven't checked this lately, but for a while, if you Googled Rick Santorum's name, you got a particularly ugly uh, description of a, of, of something oh. that's just too gross, too gross to even talk about. But it, it okay, was there yeah. and probably still is because somebody planted that in, into the Internet system. So anytime you Googled Santorum's name, you got this obscene reference to certain certain bodily functions. Yeah. I was I was looking for you know I was searching something and uh it was about a celebrity and I had had read an article or part of an article at work and I got home and I was trying to find it to finish it and I put the celebrity's name in and luckily I saw the three X's in the web address before I clicked mm-hmm. on the link on Google and I was like, what in the heck? And I don't remember how I found the article originally. But in this, the analytics are getting crazy because I will talk about, look for something, read something on Google, and then on Facebook, there it is. Suggested page. Or, you know, sites you may know. And it's like, okay, this is really creepy. My phone sent a text for me the other night on my way home when my boss texted me. Your what? Your son's phone? My boss texted me, and my cell phone sent him a reply that said, thank you for your text. I can't talk. I can't respond right now. I'm driving safety first or something along those lines. And I looked at that, and I thought, (laughs) oh, my God. Wait, I can read it because I have the phone right here. And uh, yeah, it's the, uh, it's the um, what is it, the AT&T text blocker when you're driving? Yeah. Yes. And let me find it, let me find it. Um, okay. Thanks for your message. I'm driving, but I'll get back to you when I get off the road. No text is worth life. It can wait. Well. That's my boss. <laughs> so I wrote him back. I said, that wasn't me. Creepy, huh? And he said, <laughs> wow, really? <laughs> so, yeah, so AT&T, I mean, I agree. No text is worth a life. And I don't, if I hear my text message go off while I'm driving, I don't pay any attention to it. If I think it might be so important, I pull over, I put the car in park, and I look at it. But I don't think I like my phone sending somebody a response. I think that's going a little too far. I'm sorry. Yeah, I really really hate getting (laughs) phone calls while I'm driving, though. I do. I, yeah, I hate I hate getting phone calls when I'm driving too, but my phone is in my purse and I just turn the radio up so I can't hear the ringer. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and then anyway. I'm you know I'm done. <laughs> but well, I don't. My car does so, not have the Bluetooth and I you know my sister we get in her Expedition and she puts her phone in this little slot and. It's like all of a sudden the phone is everywhere. 
but she doesn't um, have to. Yeah. She can say call. You know, she could say call my husband, and it'll call her husband. She doesn't even have to look at the phone. She just has to tell it. And I do have that on my new phone too, but again, a little creepy for me. <laughs> so I'm not quite ready to start ordering my phone around. Well. Poor little Damien is not as cell phone aware as we are, so you know, oh. it really, really was just a shock to him. He managed to pull up a porn site. <laughs> who, who I didn't know. Even know they those such things existed until that happened. Uh, yeah, but you know what? I'll bet you. And when Damien got out of prison in 2011, he had a better phone than I did. Because I had a smartphone, but there was no internet on my smartphone. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I just bought this phone in uh, April or May of this year. And I still, every day, I find something new. Oh, wow, my phone can do that. So, well, yeah. this has been wonderful, Gary. We are going to have to, in our second season, we are, you and I are going to have to have two, three, four, five, six weeks and just go through the West Memphis Three case. Uh, I can do it. I, I, can I, talk, talk, I can talk we, for a while about this. It kind of surprises me sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> and maybe, you know, uh, the, the new season will start sometime in February or March of next year. Yeah, I really value so, your insights because you have a much, you have a infinitely superior knowledge of. It's one thing you have a very good, 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 excellent knowledge of the case, but you have an infinitely superior knowledge of the legal process compared thank to you. what I know. And I and I know more than most people because I did cover courts and do this and mm-hmm. that. But you really do on, you know, part of part of your business with Bob Ruff is you were really talking over his head and and that was it was pretty clear and you weren't that far over his head but it didn't take that much to get over his head if you know what I mean Thank and you. so yeah. you know <laughs> it wasn't that hard to do but uh, yeah we'll have to talk again sometime and if you want to get into the case in, in depth uh, I'll be happy to do that anytime I, I would I, and I was you know that was something we Intended to do, we had a little unplanned hiatus in, um, you know, May and June. And so mm-hmm. now we're still trying to get through some of the episodes that we uh, we wanted to do then. But, yeah, I think the beginning of next season, season two, we will start off with West Memphis 3. And maybe go That's- through each of the phases because it's been going on for 25 years. It's a big And maybe by then there'll be really some is. there'll be some actual evidence that does exonerate the three. You never know. Gosh, I, I hope so. We could solve this and we could just move on. <laughs> yeah, right. We could solve it. That that's something we also I, I kinda have a hard time. I'm looking at cases I'm not solving them. I'm reporting information about them. I'm reporting no. evidence. I, I'm not solving them. They were solved. No, you know? I, was, I was just. I'm reading this book that um, 
what's her name? Uh, McIntyre, uh, Michelle Mac- McNamara. Wrote McNamara, about the yeah. Golden State Killer. Yeah, it was about yeah. the Golden State Killer, and she put an incredible. I'm I'm still reading the book, so I don't, you know, but I know she didn't. I know she didn't find out who the killer was because he was arrested. Right. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, from yeah, other, she from passed away. Other connections, but she spent all this mm-hmm. time and energy and an amazing amount of knowledge put toward determining who this person was. And, you know, and she still wasn't successful. It was she couldn't find out who the Golden State Killer was for her untimely death. You know, it's pretty unlikely that Bob Ruff is going to be able to do that from his. A little shed in Michigan. In so, Michigan, but we'll see. yeah. We'll see. All right, Gary. Well, it was I, great talking to you. Thank I, you so much. Thank you, Lisa. Always good to talk to you. Great talking to you, too. Thanks. All right. Goodbye. Bye. What a show. All right, Michael. I know. I know. That was, Yeah. Yeah, Gary always it's always great to talk to Gary. He has a great uh, a great knowledge of the case. And you know, he has knowledge of some inside things that I had never heard about before. Right. Right, absolutely. So, you know, I think he and I are are exactly even when it comes to the case. Absolutely. I can't wait to um, I can't wait to keep uh you know plugging along as far as that. And we you know as far as everything goes, we still have a lot of stuff to go. I mean, next week we have <laughs> we have the right. Casey show. You know, I and you know that's the funny thing. I should have realized putting that one on the schedule was going to result in I, I've already shifted Casey down because oh, I, I would like to finish. I, I would like to finish the updates of all of the cases. Okay. Um, again, we will season two. Uh, we may, you know, take a hiatus at Valentine's Day and come back the last weekend in February and start mm-hmm. off season two, West Memphis three. Um, we can do, we can do twenty five years. We could do five episodes, cover five years per episode, oh, yeah, absolutely. and talk to Gary and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, as I said, uh, Vicky Edwards is working on a book with Terry Hobbs, and and she'll probably have released that at that point, and maybe mm-hmm. ready to talk about it. And, um, uh, you know, I, I'm going to reach out to some other people involved with the case. And you feel free to reach out to anybody, preferably not too supportery, um, <laughs> <laughs> to talk about the case. Um, Absolutely. Because I, I would prefer to stick with uh, the rebuttal of some of the defense claims. Mm-hmm. which is sort of what we do here because the voice so far for, for nearly 25 years has been the side of innocence. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I and so I, I feel like I would prefer to rebut some of the arguments about innocence rather than, you know, continuing to uh, give them a platform. Right, right. See what I'm Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I think next week we'll finish updating uh, these other cases, Rodney Reed, Larry Swearingen, uh Skinner, Kevin Cooper, Jeffrey McDonald, uh, and Al Story Simon. And I had some interesting ma- uh, information about Christopher Young. Because you remember we talked about his uh, attorneys filed a discrimination claim in federal court alleging discrimination against the clemency process. For his case, and I had I found some information. I thought it would be bombshell information, but I guess we're just going to have to wait for it till next week. Well, I can't wait to hear it then. Uh, you know, I look forward to this show every single week. So do I. So I want to thank everyone for listening, to clear and convincing tonight with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and you want to know more. You can find us on Facebook. Go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien L. Ann. Join us next week for episode 17, which will be part two of our update episode. We'll be talking about new developments in the Rodney Reed, uh, Hank Skinner, and Kevin Cooper cases as well as some new information about uh, Liddell Lee and Christopher Anthony Young. And we can't wait to talk to you next week. Have a great night.